0: Hi, this is Dr. Fab Mancini, and welcome again on the Fab Life podcast. So excited today because I have one of my most amazing mentors, friends, and somebody that I've been watching his life for a long time, and all I can say is this man lives his message. And the reason that I invited him to the podcast is because he has written his new book, Tell Me, Teach Me, Heal Me how do you get healthy before you die trying? This book is something out of this world. It has so much information that is practical, that is relevant, and most importantly, that gets the results. So Doc Caporino, it is so amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time out of your busy schedule, especially with doing your book tour right now.
1: Dr. Fab, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I know we're gonna get a lot of great results and, and a lot of good feedback from people just hearing some of the information that we have to say today.
0: Well, you know, Doug, I have known you for so many years and you have been one of the leading key people in the wellness industry, also the fitness industry, but also you've been an international speaker and a consultant for many great companies out there to help individuals like you and me to be healthier. Uh, But I want to ask you something as we start this, and that is, where did that passion come from to be able to influence so many millions of people towards their health and well-being?
1: Well, you know, that's a great question, Fab. And I say this to everybody, now that the book is written... Once you purchase the book, you will read my story in the very beginning of the book, but I'm going to give you a little synopsis of that right now. Uh, I was born a very unhealthy child. I was born with three holes in my heart. I was born with juvenile onset rheumatoid arthritis, and I was a very rare disease called familial Mediterranean fever. At the time that I was diagnosed, there were only 767 cases reported in the United States. So I didn't start out on the exactly right track, as you would say. So from then on, I kind of dedicated myself, once I started getting diagnosed with these different problems, to healing myself from a natural standpoint, because the, the options from the traditional standpoint weren't really an option for me, because I didn't do well on the medications that were prescribed to me for some of my problems and I didn't like the side effects that were potentially coming down the road fast and furious. So I decided to research it as much as I could. I decided to get a background in in biochemistry and really educate myself and take it to another level as to what I could do to make sure that I could ward off any of these potential problems as well as some of the ever-present problems that I was having, things like high fevers, aches and pains in my joints, as well as several other very, very bad uh, side effects from the FMF, the familiar Mediterranean fever, as well as the rheumatoid arthritis. So uh, I've been successful over the years. Uh, I'm 59 years young now, still compete in triathlons. Rarely do I ever get an incidence of any kind of inflammation in my joints, as long as I follow my protocols, stay on my supplementation, and continue to test myself from a diagnostic standpoint with very specific diagnostic testing on a regular basis. So that's kind of been my motivation from the time that I was young, as well as having a mother who had gone through many, many different surgeries for uh, hip surgeries, hip replacements, back surgeries. And I just saw that there's gotta be a better way here uh, to try to avoid going under the knife somehow, some way. So that's been my biggest motivation uh, to give people options over the years, to let them know that the first diagnosis that they get isn't always the proper diagnosis, especially for them. So my whole quest has been to give people as many different options as they can when they get that first diagnosis and never accept the first one as well.
0: Well, you know, I was so excited when I saw that you were actually writing your secrets. Uh, You have helped so many people along the way. I mean, we've known each other for uh, over 20 years. Um, and uh, one of the things that I always known is you uh, are one of the healthiest persons that I know. And what most people don't realize is that when you have surpassed you know, any type of illness or health challenge, it makes you a very certain individual. And that is what you have. You have a lot of certainty And writing this book, especially, I couldn't believe, when I started reading it, I couldn't believe how many topics you cover, but you cover them in a very simple, practical way that I can begin to utilize immediately. But let's start with one of them that really caught my eye because I know what an industry leader you have been in the fitness industry, and you wrote about the top 10 fitness myths and I was so excited to read what you were going to write because, you know, as a, as a doctor of chiropractic and, and a health and well-being individual out there promoting uh, fitness, uh, I was so eager to kind of find out what is it that you discover after all these years that you have been part of the fitness industry. So tell me a little bit about what were you trying to teach me in that particular chapter because it was fascinating.
1: Well, you know, the funny thing about it is you're right. I've been involved in the fitness industry for the better part of my life. A lot of different celebrity training, a lot of different training for movies and movie sets uh, over the years. And I come across a lot of different people in a lot of different areas of the world. And I watch and I learn and I listen to see how people train. I, I visit a lot of different health clubs and wellness centers and gyms all over the world. And I notice people training. And it's always been incredibly uh, curious to me how people sometimes buy into a lot of the different myths that have been out there. Uh, The no pain, no gain myth, for instance, which is my number one fitness myth. And look, it's true. There is a little bit of soreness that you have to go through in the beginning when you first start trying it. But the whole no pain, no gain adage is so far from the truth, it's not funny. And so I want to give people little snippets of, hey, look, you don't always need to break a sweat when you're working out. Sweat is really just a function of the body kind of cooling itself off when you start to get overheated. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're burning more calories. Uh, A lot of people believe that if they do a thousand sit-ups a day, that they're, they're going to get a slim waist. Well, guess what? That's part of it. The other 99% of it is basically what you eat on a daily basis and how you live your lifestyle. So there were a lot of myths out there that I saw people actually hanging their hat on for years that they really took as gospel. So I said, you know, I need to devote just one small chapter to some of these disbeliefs so that people can understand that, look, everything isn't always correct. Take it from somebody who has done their homework, who has done the investigating and done the research as myself, I go through 50 different health journals on a weekly basis. So trust me, I definitely put the time and the effort in. So I just wanted to bring people these little snippets of what is proper and what is not.
0: You know, I love that chapter because, as you know, you were my inspiration to get me started in the fitness world, especially with my workouts And I don't know if you remember that when I told you that I've been trying to get myself on a regular schedule and you share so much wisdom with me that I've been consistent with that process for over 20 years now. Uh, You know, uh, another chapter that I want you to talk a little bit about, which I think is very important for our listeners, and that is the one that you talked about, the dangers of birth control. We know that, you know, many of our listeners have been on birth control for a while. So tell me a little bit about what you found through all your research and also uh, dealing with so many of your clients that you have been so effective in working with.
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting question also. And look, the body goes through its natural biorhythms on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. And often than not, we try to change those biorhythms and alter it sometimes through medications and through hormone replacement, or going through something as simple as, let's say, birth control. And when a young woman decides to go on birth control, sometimes it's for many different reasons. Sometimes it's not just for birth control. Sometimes doctors will recommend it, let's say, for women that are going through bad acne, let's say, at a young age. And really taking a look at that now, just have to take a step back and really question what are they thinking? If you're experiencing bad acne, it's not a representative of whether or not your hormones are not functioning properly, but basically the lifestyle that you're living, what you're eating on a daily basis, how much inflammation you have in your body, whether or not your body is detoxing properly. And I always say, look, we have four ways that our body detoxes, Um, uh, perspiration, urination, um, respiration, and defecation. And when all of those are functioning at a high level, the body will function at a very high level. And a lot of these different symptoms that express themselves on the outer part of the body will suddenly disappear. So birth control, again, is something that really needs to be taken a look at and a very personal decision when it comes to each individual. Because, and here's the key part to this, because I come from a biochemistry background, we are all bio. And one of the things that I always implore people to do is take a look at what works for you. What is gonna be the proper decision that you're gonna make for your body? So for a young woman considering going on birth control or even an older woman, let's say, going on birth control for other reasons, I think you need to take a look at number one, how is it going to affect your body later on? How is it going to presently? Is it something normal? For your body to do, to suppress hormone does that sound like something that your body should be doing? So these are the things, again, that I ask people to take a look at. Is it something that your body is going to become used to? Is it something that your body is going to reject? What are the side effects? What are the pluses? What are the minuses? And again, as I said before, each individual is different, and every single person is going to respond very differently to it. So I think it's important, again, for each individual to make their own educated decision. What I do in my, I give people a little bit of insight as to what the potential dangers of birth control could be. I want them to be as educated and as knowledgeable on that subject as possible so that when they walk into their doctor's office, they can ask the proper questions they can look for the proper side effects or direct effects, as I like to say, of what that particular medication may bring on. So again, my whole point here is to be able to give people options. I want them to understand to make sure that they ask the proper questions. It's not only about going in there and listening to what the doctor and may say based upon what they're being taught by, let's say, a pharmaceutical rep, but based on what the studies show. And remember something, a study is not always a study. And what I mean by that is, is when you peel back the layers of many of the studies out there, it's really curious to find out who funded them, who were the participants in them, who actually paid for the participants to be in the study, and then you take a look at the, and this is something that I do on a weekly basis as well too. Anytime a new study comes out, I take a look at it and I take a look at what the money trail leads to. But there are a whole lot of things that come with with birth control. Gallbladder disease, infertility, allergic reactions, uh, the prevention of birth, uh, getting pregnant later on. So again, I think a woman needs to be really educated before making that critical decision of taking some type of medication that's going to alter her her, her hormones.
0: You know, I love that the way you wrote about it because you were very clear about uh, the facts and you were very good about the options and the suggestions that you were giving the reader. Um, you know, as I, as I kept reading the book, I also saw something that uh, I've been speaking on for the last few years, and that is that, as you know, we have a, a world epidemic uh, of an opioid addiction. And the painkillers out there have become a tremendous uh, threat to our society, even where the president calls it a national disaster and epidemic. So what is it, I know you wrote about uh, some of the painkillers that you need to be careful of. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what is your viewpoint on painkillers And what is it that we need to know right now, especially if we're taking any type of painkiller?
1: Well, I think the first thing that people need to understand is, is that you have options. You don't always have to go to an opioid or you don't have to actually pop a pill sometimes for pain. Pain is basically the body expressing itself that there's something wrong, there's something going on. For us to suppress that pain is to suppress a natural ability of the body to be able to express itself. That's number one. I'm not saying you have to live in pain on a daily basis. What I am saying is is to find the source of it rather than put a Band-Aid on it, which is what many of the different painkillers today do. And this includes a lot of the COX-2 inhibitor drugs, Celebrex, and other different types of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, such as NSAIDS, such as Aleve, Motrin, and aspirin, and Tylenol, for that matter. And a lot of people don't understand that even if you look up for the centers of disease control, the number one drug in the United States that causes liver failure is actually Tylenol. But you're never going to see that in a commercial with that nice little fluffy dog running across a field, making you feel good, start to talk about the side effects of that particular drug. So I think people need to understand again, what the potential side effects are, which are pretty, pretty disastrous. Secondly, there are a lot lot of great natural painkillers out there that will help you get through the process of healing whatever is causing the pain. So in understanding what that inflammation is and what's creating that pain first and foremost through proper diagnostic testing and getting to the source of it, I think is the key component to getting to the point of healing. But again, the biggest part here is not accepting the presqualk in the office right away. Understand what, what your alternatives are. Don't always reach for the aspirin. Don't always reach for the ibuprofen. Don't always reach for that, that potentially really bad addictive medication that, look, sometimes people have a very high pain tolerance and a very high tolerance to not getting addicted to something. And then some people just need to take one pill and they're addicted which is why we have this unbelievable epidemic in the United States today. And look, there's a whole cascading effect that goes along with that epidemic. Right on down to kidney failure and kidney disease. We hear a lot about, but it's all a direct result of these painkillers and the opioid epidemic.
0: You know, for so many years, people have told me whenever I gave them uh, another option to whatever they were told, I wish somebody would have told me that there was another option. Uh, this book, you really, you highlight this so well because it's all over the pages, full of content, full of value, full of information for people to at least begin to ask the right questions. Uh, I've always believed that making an informed decision is the best decisions you can make rather than following what everybody else out, is out there. Uh, but in closing, uh, Doug, you had also uh highlighted a chapter on fructose the toxic sugar we hear all the time how we become a society addicted to sugar what is it that we really need to understand about sugar and fructose in particular in order to be able to prevent so many of these illnesses such as diabetes obesity and so many others
1: Well, you know, that's a great question. And when you take a look at, let's just talk about sugar uh, to start. Sugar by itself is the type of brain effect that heroin does. In fact, in studies, when you take a look at MRIs, when somebody has sugar, it lights up that area of the brain the way that heroin does. So you know that it's highly addictive. That's number one. Number two, when you start to take a look at the different types of sugars that are out in the market today, the way that they actually break them down sometimes uh, into fructose or into, let's say, other artificial sweeteners, which are incredibly toxic on the body, which actually act as a neurotoxin to the body. The, the, the effect on the body is tremendous. Um, different things that people look for. I mean, it is definitely a reason for the obesity and diabetes epidemic here in the United States. Start to take a look at the potential for creating higher heart problems as as you go on in the future, becoming more and more addicted to to sugar. You take a look at type two diabetes, which is on the rise for the past twenty years now. Uh, I think it's up almost 120 percent from just seven years ago, which is incredible to me. And I just don't understand how we continue to push the sugar out there today. When you take a look at, again, the different types of cancers that it could be brought on, a study that was done at UCLA and Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center showed that pancreatic tumor cells use the fructose actually present in the body to divide and reproduce different types of cancers. And understand this too, cancers for the most part, mostly all cancers will feed off of sugars, fructose being the main one, the main ingredient in your body. So it's always important to try to starve that cancer whenever you can. So what you eat, should you ever get that big C diagnosis when you walk into the doctor, is going to be pivotal in how you lead your life moving forward. I just had one of my clients come through stage four pancreatic cancer. He's now four years cancer free. But when he got that big C um, um, offer in his office, in the doctor's office, The first thing he did was was change his life completely. He said he needs to change his environment, both internally and externally. That's exactly what he did. So consequently, he's four years cancer-free from stage four pancreatic cancer, which is usually a death sentence. So fructose again is something that doesn't do the body good. It creates a lot of inflammation in the body, can create a lot of different types of diseases when used over a very long period of time, and when the body gets addicted to it.
0: Well, you know, Doug, I uh, just want to say thank you so much for writing this book. Uh, for all of you that are listening to us, you can go to Doug's website. It's DougCaporino.com. Uh, I will also write it here so you can just click the link and be able to go right there where you can order your book, but also get informed and sign up for his newsletter and get connected with this man. He's been my mentor for over 20 years. Uh, He is one of the reasons that I've lived such a healthy lifestyle. And the book title says it all. Tell me, teach me, heal me, how to get healthy before you die trying. So I encourage you right now to click on the link, go to his website, Order the book. I know it will make a difference between you and your whole family. And if you want to give a gift to somebody, I've always said to people, give the gift of health. Buy it for your friends and family members that you feel can benefit from the information in this book. Doug, thank you so much for being with us in our podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. Good luck with the book tour. And I know that you will continue to impact millions of lives just like you have for the last few years. Decades that you have been in this journey. Uh, And I'm just very honored to be a small part of that journey. And thank you so much for just being you. Uh, This book is, in my opinion, going to revolutionize the way people look at their life. And most importantly, the way that they act upon uh, everyday choices that are really the ones contributing to our health and well being. So God bless you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I look forward to seeing you at the next The Fab Life Podcast.